All right, welcome to Equal Time Soccer. I'm Matt Pravratsky, subbing in for the other Pravratsky brothers, a little under the weather, and we have huge news today. We got the neighboring Sioux Falls City FC just announced as one of the first five clubs signing a letter of intent for the WPSL Pro. We've heard these murmurs. We've gotten some great teasers on social featuring Emily multiple times. So we're getting some good shows. Joe and Emily, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. We got Joe DeMay, sporting director and coach for Sioux Falls. We got Emily Thomas, one of the co-owners. So let's jump right in. One of the five um, initial teams to launch this sort of LOI phase, which is sort of stating your commitment to join join the league. The earlier announcements from the league had said that, you know, perhaps full play will start in 2025. Maybe some form of play will start in 2020. Excuse me. Full play might start in 2025. Some form might start in 2024. So let's let's jump into it. When did these uh, first discussions happen, and sort of how did WPSL Pro be uh, end up be the place where you guys wanted to be? So, you know, we when we first started this two short long years ago, <laughs> um, we are, I mean we always had the dream of making this a professional and before the first season even ended we were in talks with you know a variety of different leagues and so i mean originally it started early and then i would say for the wpsl you know we went to the we went to oklahoma city for our agm meeting and it was it was announced then and then since that time it obviously has grown and you know the conversations have gotten more and more and i will let joe take it away because he kind of has been in those conversations so yeah yeah um yeah it's definitely our, our vision so that made it easier from the sporting director side to kind of know what our vision was um wpsl at the agm in february had, had they announced the pro uh intentions for the wpsl pro league and then had you know spoken to us there briefly, uh, and then the conversation really picked up in May, uh, speaking with Sean and Ben O'Nagel, who uh, is with the town and really kind of driving the pro side of things. Um, and once that conversation started in May, it was a pretty consistent um, stream of communication between us, um, some regular calls and, and meetings about the potential for what the league would look like. Um, and the ideas and there really that was the driving force was um you know a lot of times when you're joining a league the league comes to you and says this is how things are going to be done and part of the attraction of the league was hey the founding clubs really need to kind of build this um let's learn from what other leagues have done both in the men's and the women's side um you know there have been some really good ideas and there have been some really bad practices um in all of those leagues um, so let's take the best and then let's make sure that we avoid some of the worst things um, so that we can be we can benefit from what's happened before. Um, and so that was that was the biggest draw um, to joining the league. And then, um, you know, at some point, you know, there's always that point. It's the Spider-Man meme where everybody's pointing at each other. Like who's going to go first? Who's going to go first? And I would say that, you know, we were pretty vocal and, hey, we need to we need to do this um, because, Yes, it might only be five, but like 
you're going to get other clubs who join. We're going to be the the founders, and then there's going to be some early adopters, and then as things grow, there's going to be some other people who want to join in. So uh, somebody's got to kick it all off. So we said, hey, why not us? Yeah, and I know you mentioned uh, Joe. You know, there's maybe folks would have expected a bigger launch group. I think you know my conversations I've had behind the scenes with uh, folks of the WPSL and other folks associated. Uh, folks should know, I think the the interested group, like the, the group just outside of this five is obviously much bigger than five, but when people are ready to jump in, when they're not is always this sort of sensitive thing for each organization, every board, every ownership group. So I think folks should know, uh, maybe not anyone really, really, really right in the Minnesota area, but across the country, there's a lot of teams, at least I've heard murmurs of who are interested as well. And you talked about, um, you talked about sort of the idea that these founding teams should really help set sort of the, the expectation. It's not just a central league setting that expectation, but obviously some certain amount of a core sort of pitch or core understanding is there for folks to be on the same page. What are those, some of those sort of central principles that, you know, WPSL pro is sort of um, leaning on or even leading on in terms of these are core things we know we want to do. And then teams help us shape the rest of the details. Yeah, yeah. And I think just to go back real quickly to your point about the other clubs, there's, you know, there's an investment standpoint to it is, hey, we right. want to do this, but we want to make sure that we have the investment. Uh, and then there's some things with the professional league standards is making sure that there's that the, the stadium they have is going to fit the professional league standard or making sure that their ownership structure is going to match. There's some nonprofit clubs that want to be involved, but you, you can't be a nonprofit. So those are, are two key factors for some of the clubs trying to sort through, um, you know, how they how they would make it work. Um, and just aren't quite ready yet, but hopefully will right. be soon. Um, in terms of the core tenants, I think the I think there's two things. One, just the opportunity. I mean, we're, we're obviously there's big this big debate this summer about the about opportunities, right? Um, and and what do we need to do? Are we falling behind? And and what do they do in other countries? And I think sometimes we want to copy paste what other countries do, and it's not going to work. Like I hear about the European scale. We should follow the European calendars, like, but we're not Europe. Um, you know, I think we know here in the upper Midwest, like that would be dramatically bad. I mean, I think any of us that sat in the U.S. Honduras Men's World Cup qualifier was a cool experience. But we're also thinking, I don't want to do this every week. Um, right. So. So, I mean, so I just think there's there's different things um, like that. Just the opportunities. Um, we need more right. pro pathways. We don't have enough NWSL teams. And that's not a knock on NWSL. Like they are what they are. Um, but mm -hmm. we need more. We, we have, you know, firsthand, there's too many quality women who play this game in this country who, when they finish college, want more. Yeah. And the opportunities are very limited. And going to Europe is possible, but it's yeah. very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. um, so the first one is opportunity. And I think the second one is I think it's a, just an extension of a, one. It's a pathway in to the professional game. And then it's a pathway to progress beyond that. So whether that is going to a higher league or maybe it is going to Europe, but it's easier to get there because you have a track record as a professional player. Um, but, you know, some of the other things are, um, you know, what can we do for players while they're with us? Like, can we create internship opportunities? Can we connect them with local employers that are in the field that they, they want to be in? Can we as a club or the rest of the clubs, can we provide them opportunities within the game? So we get more women. We talk about we want more women involved, more women involved. So that's something that we can do as clubs is provide those opportunities for, for, for people who maybe, you know, 
the pro my experience as a pro, pro player is over but I still want to stay involved. How can I do that? Maybe that's administrative. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's something else. Um, so I think those are the, the big things um, that we're looking for. I, the third one is player care. Um, mm-hmm. I think obviously that's a big one. Um, obviously it's a pro league. So how do we make sure that um, players are compensated and taken care of and uh, have the safe environments that they, they deserve, um, you know, to, to operate in as a professional. So right. I don't, Emily probably has some other thoughts. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, well, you, you hit all three, but I just, you know, for some, I'm sure the people who are listening know soccer, but you know, for for those of you that may be joining for the first time, you know, there are 101 men's professional teams in the U.S. right now, through all the levels, mm-hmm. and there are currently 12 women's professional teams, and that is just not right and so i mean the whole thing like what joe said with just providing opportunity and access i mean that's what we're trying to do is we have so many talented women who deserve to play and they just you know 30 get drafted a year and you have thousands graduating and you know leaving and and all that so yeah the big thing is opportunity 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 and then listening to the players and like this is for the players and mm-hmm. we really strive I mean, we have since day one to make sure the players feel valued and that's mm-hmm. really important yeah and and emily uh rocking the nice let's see where yeah. where are we at? we could we could have been matching i got it in the background emily's rocking it there the fantastic uh i think it was the pride kit this year right and yeah. i i picked it up when uh Mark and I were on the ground out in Sioux, Sioux Falls to see a game. And from your perspective, Emily, you obviously have sort of a, a cool uh, small ownership group now with, with a few folks who have really put sort of the blood, sweat, and tears on top of the investment into this to sort of make it happen. Um, and from, from your perspective, how does the team think about this sort of financial investment side? I know, Joe, you mentioned the idea that, you know, there's there's the standards that the Federation has of like how much, you know, an individual primary owner worth X dollars that owns Y percent of the team, blah, blah, blah. Those are sort of the the nuts and bolts of it. For, but from your perspective, Emily, how are you all thinking about sort of your ownership group? Does it need to grow and sort of how that goes in sort of parallel to making these commitments, but maybe sort of showing showing a little early so that you can bring the commitment versus having the commitment and then doing more? How are you sort of balancing that process? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, you know, so my husband, Eric, and I are, are the owners. And obviously, moving to the professional level is a big difference in the financial aspect. And we are currently talking to different investors, um, talking to, obviously, we'll talk to our current partners and sponsors and kind of elevate, you know, their um, part in this with us. And then, you know, I mean, we are truly, I mean, we really love our community. And I mean, our community has made us get to this point, quite honestly, I mean, by showing up and by being there. And so the grassroots thing is, is a big deal for us. And we'd love every, every person to be involved. But we're also open to anyone who believes in our mission who aligns with our core values, something that is, I think, lost a lot of time in the chase of money, perhaps, 
And so that is something that's really important as we align ourselves with those who really believe in what we're doing. And so, yeah, we're right. talking to, I mean, we're talking to everybody. I mean, we're not going to be, I mean, we're an inclusive group. Right. I love it. I love, I love it, Emily. And I, yeah, everyone, everyone in the upper Midwest, everyone who's looking to support some upper Midwest women's soccer, shoot, shoot Emily a DM, shoot us a DM, we'll forward it on. We'll make the connection for sure. And uh, there's, there's so many sort of nitty gritty details that maybe um, have to be settled by the time the team launches. And let's assume 2025 is when everything launches, everyone's ready to go. Everything, you know, kicks off. One of the sort of specific things that I'm curious about, and it falls into those standards that you mentioned before, Joe, is, you know, obviously <clears throat> venue is one of those things that people talk about. Have I mentioned earlier, Mark and I were out there to see in person. Right now you're playing in the University of Sioux Falls uh, stadium out there. I actually think it's a pretty nice venue. <laughs> I think I've seen stadiums where pro teams play, you know, in Europe. I've seen stadiums where pro teams have to play uh, in the U.S. I don't think it's outlandish to think you actually could play there, but in terms of venue and training ground and all of those facilities pieces, how do you think about questions like that? Is that sort of a let's get our investment group together and then strategize once we feel complete type of thing? Or did you, you know, did you think through what that strategy is in terms of, you know, maybe we we bother trying to own a training ground versus owning a stadium versus all the big questions that come with venues, of which I'm terribly aware of how absurd venue situations are but how do you all think about the venue stuff and is is your current setup uh, something you consider at least as like a placeholder <clears throat> yeah i'm you're absolutely correct usf stadium has been awesome i mean i think hmm. fans have a great experience there our players love playing there it's just a really cool environment and so mm -hmm. obviously and they fit with mm -hmm. what the tier three you know standards are Right. And so for sure, we're going to be talking with them. Um, you know, there's also been talks for a very long time about a new stadium being built in Sioux Falls. And that would be really cool to have our own stadium. Um, and so I think right now, obviously, the sky's the limit. And like I said, we're we're, we're very happy with with usf and mm -hmm. you know obviously the talks will continue there um but you never know what an, a sioux falls city stadium might be looking like so that would be really that would be really cool i i love that there's you we hear there's for folks who don't follow the the upper midwest random stadium nerddom uh there is never ending amounts of it uh des moines has sort of a kind of a quasi public effort to possibly get sort of a, a stadium downtown ish Omaha. I know has some interest in possibly trying to do stadium stuff. Um, Milwaukee has sort of their stadium district in the works. Madison is likely going to try and redo theirs. Let's add Sioux Falls to the list. Let's get some soccer stadium chaos. Let's do it. I like it. I like it. Um, and we've talked a few times about sort of the college players who right now, you know, I think it's it's fairly reasonable to assume that a lot of the targets for this league in terms of players will be the types of players who now end up going overseas either by default or sort of because they have to. A couple of nice Minnesotans <laughs> featured over here. Annie Williams actually, shout out to South Dakota, was a, a stud at South Dakota State. So let's shout out Annie Williams. And then Rashida Beal, uh, currently both playing overseas. Um, 
I reached out to a few folks. So when we knew the show was going on, I reached out to a few of them just to gauge not these two players in specific, but players in general. There's about 10 Minnesotans playing overseas right now um, in various leagues. And in general, you know, the thing I heard was obviously, you know, pay needs to be comparable for them to sort of make the jump into a league like this. But just as frequently players brought up to me some of the things that you two already brought up as well, which is sort of how well is the team resource? How well is our play? How well are players supported? So things like housing, but also just really basic stuff. I think people don't appreciate um, as fans like, you know, the treatment facilities, the training facilities, you know, how much players are supported in that way, even like meals, travel, hotels, like the the glamorous logistics of soccer travel. And so when you think about, and I, I will also say too, I think folks should know in terms of summer league teams, you know, Sioux Falls is one of those teams that has tried to make those investments, you know, at your current level where you're trying to, you know, make sure players are resourced and supported, all that stuff. Um, but how do you think about that in terms of being a place that can sort of pitch to those players, recruit, you know, the random Midwest players or players across the country and say, hey, we know you're going over to Germany, Iceland, you know, Sweden, wherever now we can be a comparable or a better experience for you. And here's why. How do you think about that sort of pitch and what you need to build up to sort of make that sell to possible players? I, I feel that what we have done from day one you know we've we've not only just talked about it but that was really important for our players to feel and be treated like professionals mm -hmm. and so i mean we you know, for our busing you know we when mm -hmm. we travel to our away games we hire a, a motor coach like it's the real mm -hmm. thing um right you know we we pay for their meals on game days Mm -hmm. um, you know, snacks we provide on the bus, we provide housing. Mm -hmm. um, we, we really want them, we don't want them to be limited mm -hmm. by money because so many times that happens and you miss out on these amazing, amazing women who mm -hmm. just can't afford it. And, right. you know, we, we were talking or I was talking with um, a, a player and you know, we were just kind of discussing and she just said, there has to be a better way. Yeah. Like, there has to be a better way to do this. And, and she's right. And so we have heard back. I mean, the things that we hear from the players from the past two years, those things don't go unnoticed. They mm -hmm. are very well received, appreciated. And it just, it makes them feel like they're valued, which they are, mm -hmm. but you know, to show them that beyond just on the pitch, it, it mm -hmm. says a lot about who we are and what we will continue to strive to always be. Mm -hmm. Joe, you yeah. want to add anything? Yeah, I mean, again, like I think from day one, the idea was to go professional. So one of the things we were very intentional about is how much can we do at a professional level um, right. as possible. There's some things which we just can't do. For instance, we can't pay players. That's right. impossible. But there are other things we can do that are scalable over time. So yes, we pay for our players housing. And, and like when we just, we don't like throw, you know, eight players into a house with two bedrooms. It's if there's four bedrooms and there's four players in that right. space and then they're Airbnb. So it's not like some cheap, you know, uh, apartment or something. So mm -hmm. We do those things um, and those are scalable. So now instead of doing it for a couple months, we will 
have to do the same thing over a longer period of time. And like we've looked at some strategies. Well, how can how can we improve that um, and make sure that mm-hmm. from a financial standpoint, maybe it's something that we can kind of maximize that aspect of it. Um, but the experience is the big thing. Um, I think, you know, you're always going to have players who, you know, they're players. They want to play. They want to be on the field. They want to play in games. Um, mm-hmm. And you understand some players are going to play more than others and some players are going to play less. And their experience at, on some level will be, you know, that will tint their view of their experience. But, but if that's what they come away saying, oh, I wish I should have played more or I should have played this position or whatever it is, if it's related to playing time, that's like, well, that's just a natural part of the game. But if they walk away from every, well, everything else in the club was first class, okay, then that's what we want, right? Um, and I would say generally the players who walk away don't have too many complaints about the experience, and, and we ask for their feedback. We changed our training venue this year because we got feedback about our previous that the turf just wasn't good. Um, so yeah. we are like, okay, what do we need to do? Like, where do we need to go where there's better turf and there was a new facility in town with brand new turf and mm-hmm. we made it happen so we could train there. Um, so I think it's, it's those kinds of things. And then, yes, I think we, you know, we have an, we have an athletic trainer at every training session travels with us to every game. So when we show, you know, in the pre-professional leagues, the home team trainers coming up to you and it's like, Oh, no, thank you. We don't need you. We have our own. Right. Um, right. So those are just little things that, yeah, those are little things that, that mm-hmm. we do. They have a world-class, training facility that's where the, the athletic trainer is there for treatment and then they can go work out there um, mm-hmm. and do their workouts if they need a workout from us so we can get so yeah there's a lot of little things um you know helping them get jobs in town you know like the t- players are in town for you know two months so a lot of places even now like they don't want to hire you for you know 12 weeks 10 <laughs> weeks but like we've you know worked with local people and said hey we have these players and they need some some money to walk around with like can you help out and and right. you know the community supported that so it's not just the on-field experience for sure it's the holistic aspect of it and i think that's right that's what we go for is like what and and now we have proof of concept right when we started it was like this is what we want to do and people nod their head and go okay like they've heard that line before but now mm-hmm. i'm doing it for two years and you know from year one to year two refining it right and we'll do the same thing again next season now all of a sudden it's like no we do this like we right. don't say this, we do this, and then we can hey talk to any player who's played for us and and get their feedback on what it's like. So um, right, it's the biggest thing. Right, and I think I, you know, even though I'm sure anyone watching the show or listening to the show, you know, watches our other stuff, maybe they have context. Um, just to give some full context on sort of some of the really specific details that Joe and Emily mentioned. Um, at the summer league level, whether you're, you know, there's multiple leagues, whatever league in, in the upper Midwest, even across the country, it is actually not guaranteed to have things like coach charter buses, meals, meals, every game covered by the team, uh, trainers at every training and at games. Like, I feel like maybe if you're just a hardcore soccer fan in general, you might not necessarily appreciate sort of what the norm is and what the bar is at the, in these summer leagues that already exist. So I just want to make sure folks appreciate, like it's more rarity than it should be, but it is a rarity. And so that's why Joe and Emily are listing all these things because it actually is unique still, unfortunately in the summer league landscape for those to be team provided resources. And so it does mean something to someone like me when I talk to and cover and see, you know, dozens of teams throughout the summer like those are things that you tick off of like 
you have to add those in the column of things the club bothered doing for their players. And so it is just to note that for folks in case people aren't hardcore summer league nerds like me. Um, Joe, no, you mentioned. Thank you for mentioning that, by the way, and for bringing yeah. that up. Yeah. Like it's, whole, I, whole yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, no, just, I, and, and first for context for people, you'll regularly see a random team either take like a single 13 passenger van. If you ever watch a game, and a team has precisely 13 or 14 players, there is a reason that is the case. So when you, that happens actually quite a bit. And so like, or when you see, you know, 15 cars in the parking lot, but there's no fans there, a team literally drove themselves across the Midwest to a game. And so just like <laughs> when you watch enough games, you start seeing these visual cues. And so it, it does happen. <laughs> no, we, we know it's happened because we have, we had players drive to Sioux Falls, you know, but I think the whole, the whole part, the whole point of it too, is to normalize what we're doing. Right. You know, you know, they're all, men's teams. That is normal. And so yeah. why isn't it for women? And so right. we really wanted to elevate that and normalize it and mm -hmm. like, no, everybody else get on board. You know, this is how these players should be treated. So, right. Yeah. Well, it's funny to see you watch our uh, watch the players who play for us and they quickly become normalized to it because they'll walk in and they'll have friends on the opposing team and the friends will be like, oh, my God, like there'll be a thousand people in the stands and they'll be like, oh, my goodness. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah amazing. Yeah. Right. And you, you've been there. Right. The fans are yeah. literally right. on top. like if, if I'm on the bench, I can turn around and talk to the person in the fifth row and like not have to raise my voice to. Yeah. Hear, so they can hear me. And um. You know, yeah. they quickly get normalized to it, but then we go on the road. Yeah. And they're, they're reminded that, oh, wait, no. We're, yeah. We're not norm normal. Like, yeah, the norm is like, the we got to get ourselves like fired up for this because you just walk into the stadium and you're just naturally fired up by that environment. So, yeah, the norm, the norm is 50 to 100 fans. And then when there's a team that has like 200, 300, that's actually a pretty good turnout. And then, when you get to a place like Sioux Falls or Green Bay that does like, or Mankato that does like the 500, you have 500, 700 plus fans. Like those are turned up. Like those are, those are good games. And we're talking about travel. So we do need to uh, jump over to the Bureau of Transportation Statistics, Emily. And just, we're going to talk a little bit about the current air traffic in and out of the Sioux Falls airport, because here's the deal. Kendra, Sean, Benno, I'm speaking directly to you. You're, you're watching, of course, you're watching, you watch every show. So here are the markets. This is for Sioux Falls sake. So for Sioux Falls sake, we're going to we're gonna talk WPSL Pro Landscape strictly for the sake of, of Sioux Falls. These are the markets where commercial trips are most frequent already. So these are your target markets, WPSL. Here they are. Denver, no brainer. Everyone loves Denver, of course. Chicago, they could support three of these teams. So throw a team in Chicago, uh, MSP. So, you know, maybe who knows, who knows we have Dallas Fort Worth. We're already covered, baby. There's our, one of the five teams announced is in Dallas Fort Worth. So we're crushing it Phoenix. So, Hey, go down to the desert. Let's do it. Atlanta, Las Vegas, Nashville. So are there some Tennessee area teams? We'll see. And then this is my favorite. This is, I'm assuming a very specific group. Sanford, Florida. I have no, I don't know, but it exists. So it's, uh, this, it's outside Orlando. And unfortunately, unfortunately, Matt, that is only, I believe that is only a seasonal flight. 
That's a winter. That's if we were doing that's the European flight, calendar. So, that's yeah, I think we'd be out of luck. Now, what I would say is I would say that, like, if we have people listening and they, and you happen to have, you know, a, a, a private jet or two and you want to be involved, you know, we are still writing the rules. So yeah. we can go above NWSL and we can get rid of any charter restrictions. Sure. And we can just charter ourselves out of out of the Sioux Falls Regional Airport. No problem. I- I like it. We don't we don't need to limit ourselves. As That's Emily, right. As Emily said earlier, sky's the limit. And guess what? I'm assuming if you if you <laughs> if you if you throw some private jets at Sioux Falls City, guess what? You might even get to be able to jer- be able to be the jersey sponsor. We don't know. I, I'll I'm I'm, pri- I'm priming I'm priming that deal for Emily. I'm I'm priming it. Thank you. Right. Yes, there would be a lovely logo on the plane. That would be super cool. <laughs> this is—it's all going to work. It's all going to work. So uh, we did mention in the in the social media post, and for folks who have seen uh, the announcements, so the five teams that got announced uh, at this point: uh, the town, which is out in the Bay Area in California. We have a team down in Dallas, Fort Worth. One in Austin. Uh, one in Oklahoma City, and then Sioux Falls. So obviously right now that's a that's a big footprint so we'll we'll see how that goes um but obviously more more teams to be announced just when we talk travel just know that this is gonna be like something of a national footprint for folks folks who are trying to track it um and then for you all with the current team so you obviously have been you know a couple seasons in the wpsl at the sort of the current wpsl level when you think about sort of that current roster or even just the current wpsl is the idea to sort of keep that as a good um option as a summer league option for college age players and then just add pro on top or how are you thinking about um all of this in relation to your current uh wpsl squad and players i mean the goal is to have both you know Mm -hmm. to to have both of those teams because what a great feeder you know to the wpsl pro team Mm -hmm. is to have those wpsl players but then also you know our whole our, our you know, one of the reasons why we did this was to elevate soccer mm-hmm. in the area and give, you know, our local talent, our, you know, girls from not only the state of South Dakota, but the surrounding areas, mm-hmm. the ability to train and play at an elite level. And then to also be ready for their colleges, um, you know, for their college seasons when they go back. So it, it seems to me, and Joe and I have talked about this, but it's a very, it, it's kind of a no brainer to have both teams. Um, and you're just giving more opportunities to more young women and girls. Yeah, I think there's two stories. One, I mean, Haley Fisher was our, she played South Dakota State, um, graduated last year, local player, um, grew up in Hartford, South Dakota. And when we started talking to her, she's like, yeah, I had opportunities to play WPSL, but my dream was always to play for my a team in my hometown. And they never had yeah. her dream was to play WPSL in her, in her hometown. And she got to realize that for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Emily's daughter, Taylor wanted more opportunities. So actually left home during high school to in search of those opportunities to make them happen. Um, because again, locally, there wasn't, there weren't the references. Um, right. So now we've provided that, like, you know, you've seen it with the Aurora, you know, the autograph alley at the end of the game. And, and you see that the, the young girls and even the boys come up and, and, and the players, you know, they haven't really established their names yet. But locally, they're they're big deals. Right. right? And they're, they're kind of icons to these young people. Yeah. Now to, to say, hey, it's not just WPSL that you can you can aspire to. 
like you can you can become a pro um right and, and that's something for those players to work toward um so i think from that aspirational standpoint for sure and then as emily made it's a no-brainer to bring players in in the summertime some of them that's going to be the end point they just want to be ready for college and then they're going to graduate and they're going to go on to you know whatever their major is or they're going to start adulting um and then you've got the other ones who you know they they, they want to try to make it so like we, we want to be able to provide both of those things um right and i think most players as you know like again your experience you know locally the players want a serious environment they want they want to have fun but they want it to be serious as well um yeah. whether they, they want to be a pro or whether they, they're just spending their summer preparing for their college season um and so that's that's what we want to provide something for, for for all players whether you know they just want to be in shape for college and be ready for the fall or whether they want more after they graduate right having and this is, is like emily said a no-brainer right well, and I think the I think as much as there can be an overlap in terms of someone being so good on the WPSL team that they're good enough to be on the pro team is that's one thing. But I think otherwise, there's a lot about the experiences that are also different. So it, it does serve different pools sort of in its own moment, too. And I think one thing I'm curious about is, you know, obviously this is maybe the most uh, chaotic era of uh, prospective women's sports leagues and teams and expansion and uh, hypotheticals of so many either announcements or possible leagues or whatever going on in the next, you know, two, three, five, ten years, whatever it would be. But I think one thing, you know, we called out on on Twitter in particular is just that, and you mentioned it, Emily, that just at this exact moment, you know, there's there's no second professional tier in the U.S. for women. Um, there's no, there's actually no paid reserve, you know, space for even NWSL roster players to go to. Um, even though there are sort of named and official sort of reserve teams, they are not sort of the paid professional players in those situations. And so I think I'm really curious for you all, you know, how do you think about the possibility of WPSL pro being sort of a place either, you know, where you are that kind of feeder to, and you mentioned earlier, Joe, that feeder to other professional opportunities, or even just a place where maybe there could be sort of a direct partnership with, you know, a place that can end where, you know, someone from Kansas City needs some games, they go up and play in Sioux Falls or someone from the Red Stars or whatever it is. How do you think about that element of it in terms of a possible, even possible proactive partnership with a league like the NWSL? Um, I think, as you said, it's chaotic at the moment and you're not really sure. So I think one of the things, you know, you ask some questions about like this, like, okay, how do you, do you get the investment or do you start to try to, you know, solidified stadium and train. Like you, you've got to be super flexible in right. this in this space right now. So I think to have too many concrete plans that like it has to be done this way, I think you're going to end up in trouble. Um, right. So to even predict, are there going to be NWSL reserve teams? Um, I don't know. Um, right. You hear rumblings of MLS, like they get pressure to to get involved in women's soccer somehow. What does that look like? Is it a joint right. effort with NWSL? Do they do something like they did with USL and create MLS Next Pro? I, nobody knows. So I think, yeah. I think again, we've Emily's kind of said this a few times, but like we're open to all opportunities. We have our vision of what we want it to be. So I think those are more principles. This, these are the principles we want to operate, and we have less maybe um, to use a soccer phrase. We have uh, less tactical rigidity. Um, you know, <laughs> we want to play this style, but how we're going to do that? 
Uh, we'll adapt as the game goes on. We'll see what kind of players we have. We'll see what the opponent's doing, and then we'll kind of figure it out from there. But we know we want to play this stuff. So we know who we are and what we want to be um, and how, where we want to go. Um, but what that path looks like, I, I don't know. We've got that. We've got the address typed into the GPS, but it's that green space that pops up when it says you're not on a road. Um <laughs> And you're just driving along. And you're like, I- I'm sure the GPS will pick back up again at some point and tell, Every- it, tell us where to go. Everybody take out your equal time bingo cards and, and check the box for tactical rigidity. We've, we've gotten a coach on the mic. We've, we've made the, made the checkbox. And Emily, you know, Emily, for you, will Joe, we're going to out you, you know, you're, you're an import. Uh, you're, you're, you know, you come to South Dakota with, with with plenty of support for them, just like us, you know, you're bringing your your chops from all the places you've been across the country. Emily, you're bringing, uh, you know, some 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 hardcore South Dakota chops. So for you, you know, as an owner in a state like South Dakota, where you know there's plenty of random minor league men's teams that are that are professional, there's plenty of these random connections, but it's not a place that's sort of overrun with with pro level either men's or women's side. So for you, you know, what does it mean? Just lastly, sort of what does it mean to have your club sort of planting this flag to say we want to bring this pro this level of pro sports to South Dakota and women's pro sports? I mean, it's. I've been just jumping around all day because like today was the day, you know, and it was actually real. It was happening. And, um, you know, when we said it a couple years ago, you know, it was always some sometime, sometime we want to do this. And, you know, just the way that things happened, the way that, you know, everybody just really jumped in feet first, like all in, um, to, to join us on this. It just, it, it made everything like, yes, this is, this is our why we know our why we've always known our why and we stick with it. Things, things happened way quicker (laughs) than what we thought. But, you know, I mean, one, one of our, like, inspirations is the arc in Sioux Falls and the whole premise behind that is taking the leap. And so, you know, partners have taken the leap with us. And so we, we know what we're doing is needed. We know what we're doing is really important. And we we feel that the way we're doing it is very important. And, you know, I think to be the first professional women's team in South Dakota. Like, did I ever think I'd say that? Um, wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yes, you did. Don't lie. <laughs> cool. um, it, it's just, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it really is. And I, I'm just so excited because, you know, South Dakota is known as a flyover state and we're not going to, people aren't going to fly over anymore. You know, they're going to, we're going to make it a destination and it's going to be a destination for soccer. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. And it's so funny because I don't know if you know the history with Joe DeMay, but like he was the oh, reason. Froze. Oh, really? oh no, I got you. I got oh. you. Okay. That's a perfect time. I will say as my outside, no, Emily's on pause. Joe, I will say, Joe, I, she's, tell, tell me who she's, said this. 
I'm not She's frozen. For me. Oh, She's playing for me, Joe. You were frozen for me. Sorry, I apologize. You were frozen for me. <laughs> keep, keep going, Emily. Tell tell the Joe story. Tell the Joe story. No, that's what I was trying to do. Cut that off. Ah, uh-huh. well. So a long time ago, it feels, you know, it was it was Joe who contacted Taylor to come to Shattuck. And so I I knew Joe. I was terrified of Joe for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. Um, but, you know, I also, you know, Taylor doesn't really speak highly or like she does. She speaks highly of coaches, but she spoke very highly of Joe and had right. always cool. dreamed of playing for him. And as her journey kind of led us on a very scenic route, as we like to call it, um, you know, we learned the ups and the downs and the goods and the bads of many, many different clubs and organizations. And we also got to know Joe a little bit throughout the way because he was always very supportive and always wanted the best for for Taylor. And with that, like when we decided to do this, Joe was the first one that we called just to like pick his brain. We were going to pick his brain and learn as much as we could from him. Right. And then I got a text from him asking me a question. And I just looked at Eric and I go, Oh, he's totally interested. And we knew that, you know, this is something that he has wanted and to share the vision and now to come full circle and like be doing this together. It's, it's like so freaking cool. Like how things work out, you know, like you're going through some shit along the way, (laughs) but you know, to see where we're at now and what we're doing now is like, it's really, it's amazing. Well, I love, you mentioned, you mentioned Taylor getting recruited to go uh, play at Shattuck, which of course was uh, a standout program down in Faribault, Minnesota. Now Taylor has a second sort of bizarre third degree Minnesota connection for people. And this is where we go full, full nerd. Uh, uh, coach Camp- <laughs> coach, 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 coach camping in. Yeah. is now was at St. Thomas, a former Gopher player, is now on staff at Florida Gulf Coast. And look who transferred down to play in uh, in Florida with her than Taylor Thomas. So we have another good Minnesota overlap for the Thomas family. So this yeah. this is the reason why we said on equal time, if, you know, once, once Sioux Falls launches, if Madison makes their leap to the Super League, these neighboring teams, guess what? If you go pro in a neighboring state, we're going to adopt you, baby. You're, you're coming on. We'll pretend you're Minnesotans. You'll be honorary Minnesotans. We'll be honorary Wisconsinites and South Dakotans. Uh, so very excited uh, for Sioux Falls City. <laughs> if folks want to keep following you, if they want to find ways to support you, what's a good way for um, random equal time followers and listeners to uh, engage with Sioux Falls City? We have obviously our website. Um, you know, com, or we have a phenomenal social manager. Um, Joel is, is incredible. And we are Twitter um, or X, whatever it is, and Facebook and Instagram. So whatever age you are, <laughs> we've got you covered. We're working on the TikTok. So, um, yeah. That's the stuff. I like it. I like it. Well, sporting director and coach Joe DeMay, one of the co-owners, Emily Thomas, 
exciting, exciting day. Sioux Falls City FC announces one of the five initial LOI teams for WPSL Pro. Always happy to support fantastic soccer in the upper Midwest. We're willing to blur the lines for some of these great, these great programs. So thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, thank you so much thank for you. having us.